Harmony at home. That is what most caregivers strive for when parenting an autistic child. Often parents are overwhelmed with meltdown after meltdown and really not sure what they can do to help their child. This impacts the family dynamic and often takes a toll on the parent-child relationship. We want to help you navigate a journey towards less chaos and more calm. The Meltdown Manual is a roadmap to harmony at home. The strategies that we will share in this course can be implemented by any parent who is willing to commit and for any age or stage of development. You don't need a therapy-based degree to become an expert on your child. It is our experience that parents can easily implement these strategies as efficiently, if not better, than a therapist or educator. My name is Stacy Badon, and I will be one of your instructors for this course. I'm excited to share the knowledge I have gained over the past 35 years as speech therapist, child development specialist, sensory enrichment therapist, and an educator, working with hundreds of autistic children from around the world, as well as their parents. I am excited that I'm going to be joined with Torin Kearns, who is an autistic adult, a screenwriter, and content producer with over 30 years of lived experience. The course will start in May of 2022. We'll have more information soon. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. I didn't say anything. I wanted to give that dead time at the end of it, too, uh, so I could cut that off as well. No, that was good. That was good. That was good. And we are live back with another episode of Ask Me Talk. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? I am good. And um, Torin, so... Our guests are our folks that one person I know and one person that I don't know. So I'm so excited, but it's so strange to hear you say, Stacey, the autism sage, because I always want to put a clause and say, I did not give myself that name. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> By the way, I love how we basically just completely forgot about Ryan. Remember what we were saying right before we record, like, we're like, oh yeah, Ryan's here too. Well, Ryan's here too. <laughs> hey, everyone. We're just like, oh yeah, just start talking. People will figure out you're here. Welcome back, Ryan. And we have I, some new folks I, I with need, us. I need a new intro to include Ryan. Oh my gosh. All right. We have wonderful guests from all over. And um Lucy, right? Yep. That's me. <laughs> and Lucy, where are you uh chiming in from or uh, zooming in from? Leeds in the UK. So excited. I am excited. We've gone international. <laughs> and we have our first international guest, right? Yes, I think so. And who else do we have here? Hello, I am Remy. Um, and I am not in the UK. I am in Philadelphia. <laughs> is it cold today in Philadelphia? It looked cold yesterday or the day before. It is less cold than yesterday, but it is still cold. <sighs> Goodness gracious, I can't imagine. We actually have sun today, so that's good. But we are here together. What brings us together, Torin? Why are we here together today? Uh, about two weeks ago or so, about that, uh, mm-hmm. Lucy reached out to us because they want to do something for uh, Autism Awareness Month. 
mainly help, and, and you can, and Lucy, step in if I'm sort of butchering this, but they want to do something to sort of push back against uh, the sort of bad narratives of Autism Awareness Month, so counter-narratives. Mm-hmm. They want to sort, sort of pitch a counter-narrative, and I suggested, how about we all get on the podcast? We talk about stuff like that. So that's sort of, that's sort of how this idea, how this sort of collaboration was born. Perfect. Love it, love it, love it. Because I always say we, we need to get at the table and have discussions, right? And it doesn't mean that discussions are always leading to agreeing on everything. Um, and I think all of us have the same sort of um, long-term goal of, of um, positivity but and shifting the narrative around autism. But I always think it's great to get different perspectives because that's how we learn, that's how we grow, but that's also how we understand why someone either did what they did or said what they said, and then we can have the discussion about if we need to bring them in a different direction, if that makes any sense. Um, so tell me about what you guys are thinking of doing. Um, is it something specific in the UK or tell us a little bit about it? So we've been going back and forward, really, um, just trying to get a schedule where we can do a week over Twitter boosting as many autistic people as we can and really just get the attention away from non-autistics having like mm-hmm. main stage over this um, because that's how it's been for so many years mm-hmm. um, and also the fact that we need them to be aware that we can't do all the work forever they mm-hmm. have to get on board and be good allies at some point. Mm-hmm. I think that is a perfect solution. <laughs> we we all have to work together for the same. I mean, if we're going to talk about, you know, inclusive communities, everybody has to be at the table. Everybody has to be doing the work. Um, you know, one of the things that I always say, Lucy, when I'm pushing back on either a goal for a child or a demand for a child or expectation of, you know, an autistic kiddo is I tell my parents you have to meet your kid. You guys have to at least meet in the middle. I'm not saying that your child has to learn, you know, you don't have to communicate exactly the way your child does and your child doesn't have to communicate or they cannot communicate exactly the way you do, but you've got to find that middle ground. It can't be, you know, you have to come to my side and do it because it makes me comfortable and you have to come to my side and that makes me comfortable. And, um, you know, I always tell a lot of stories, but I, I literally just had this conversation with a mom who genuinely uh, embraces and understands the need for her child to stem, but the auditory sensory overload it provides to the mother is overwhelming as well, right? So how do you find that balance? And that's where the discussions need to come in as to how do we find that balance? And I think that when it comes to this month of April, um, which, you know, and I'm going to stop talking in a minute, uh, but, uh, you know, I told Torin, uh, I think it was last week or the week before that, April used to be such an exciting month for me. I mean, I just loved that I had an opportunity to meet more families, get families together to meet one another. And now it's just become so uncomfortable, right? Like, I feel like I can't even like relish in the joy <laughs> of, um, you know, uh, uh, helping everyone understand um, and, and accept and move towards appreciation for, you know, autistic individuals because it's gotten so yucky. And I know that social media has made a lot of things yucky, um, but it also has given 
me an opportunity to meet people I would not meet because we're, we don't all go to the same grocery store, right? We don't all live in the same town. So it's also given me a lot of really good um, insight um, into, um, you know, Torin helps me, you know, just the politics around autism, right? Not only education and therapy, but all the other things in the workplace. And so I am very appreciative. I just want to put that out there to all our listeners, because when I started this journey um, 22 years ago, um, you know, there was no, there were no social media, there was no internet, there was no amazon.com, there was no Barnes and Noble. I mean, it was literally me scrapping on AOL dial-up trying to find any information. And fortunately, I started learning as a speech therapist um, about autism by reading autobiographies, like the ones I could find and scrap on. And I think that was such a benefit for me to not look at it um, and approach it from a therapy standpoint, but from trying to understand, because I really wanted to understand my three-year-old student. I was like, like I want to like figure out so I can figure out what I need to do to support his needs. Um, and, you know, that terminology I did not use back then in terms of supporting needs, but um, I certainly can say I was not one of those people, and Torn and I talk about this, who I was not um, behavior driven. I, I definitely am, uh, you know, proud of that fact that I was not one of those people. But um, anyway, so I just want to say thanks. Hatred of behavior driven stuff. Well, and so, and and just really quick, I know we're not going to sort of go into that, but it's not that I'm anti-behavior. I have two children. I'm a mom of children, right? There's some behavior strategies I have to use with teenagers, but I'm saying that from the standpoint of withholding things and making children do things that made them uncomfortable. And I was also very fortunate to have an occupational therapist who let me squeeze in and sneak into all the trainings on sensory processing because they only allowed OTs to go. Um, however, I'm glad that we're here today having this discussion. Um, Torn, do you want to drive the discussion or anybody wants well, to I join? I want to start asking some questions. Well, I actually kind of wanted to hop onto what Stacy said about okay, books go there. For it, go for it. Because that uh, is actually what started our idea. So, um, when Lucy and I originally started looking at doing something this month, um, Lucy, if uh, if Torn reads the bio that we sent, um, is very involved in book Twitter and book reviewing. Um, so mm -hmm. I had originally said, how cool would it be if we made a whole bunch of posts on social media over the month of April, um, highlighting and uplifting autistic authors? Mm -hmm. um, Stacy, like you said, who are uh, telling their own stories, mm -hmm. but also um, just who write stories, you know, fiction stories, story stories, mm -hmm. um, autistic authors who write stories about autistic people um, in the same way that everyone else gets to see stories mm -hmm. about them, written exactly. by people like them. Um, so that was really where we started with the concept of this event. And um, then Luce was like, well, maybe we could also do some posts talking about some different issues. I said, okay, sure. Yeah, that sounds cool. Um, <laughs> then Luce sent me the schedule that she put together. And now we're doing a week-long event um, in which we have <laughs> lengthy topic lists for each day and references to different people that we're going to retweet every day. And we're doing a podcast episode, which is 
wild to me. And <laughs> then the last day of our week, we're doing a Zoom panel with a whole bunch of people. And I don't, I don't know how she did this. Um, I'm just standing here like, okay, cool. Yeah. Tell me what to retweet. Um, so it's, it's been super cool. Um, <clears throat> I mean, how it started was, um, I was originally just like, I don't know what to do this April. Mm -hmm. I'm really just feeling defeated. Mm -hmm. Like, How are we even going to make a difference? And Remy's original mm -hmm. idea was, We'll just do like a cute little project that's going well, to be so, sure. Make you like, books make her happy, right? Yeah. She's sad. Books make her happy. Let's, yeah. you know, let's let's mm -hmm. give her some books and let's just do a small little thing. And then <laughs> about three weeks later, I had this whole event planned. There's a raffle. <laughs> there, there are raffles. Oh wow! Every to, to the raffle. I don't. I don't really, I don't know what happened, but it's great. <laughs> it's great. Exciting. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. Um, I'm definitely gonna let her plan some more stuff in the future. Um, but also like only when I know that I have a lot of extra time that I didn't <laughs> think that was going to happen because <laughs> this, this happened. It's great. Yeah. No, it's, we're really excited. I do that. It's like I originally got asked to produce a document like a document one mm -hmm. page of um just ways companies can be more accessible mm -hmm. and then about six pages later I sent this to the executive director and I'm like okay that's awesome let's send this to like every organization mm -hmm. ever and, yeah. and I actually kind of want to do that I kind of by the way, Luz, um, <laughs> think that we should try to format that document as like a tip sheet for um, yeah. businesses, because <laughs> I think that would be a fun thing for because us to it, it didn't just highlight autism, but every single neurodivergence out there. Mm -hmm. um, and also touched in on um, different disabilities, such as mm -hmm. deaf people, blind people, just a wide range of things. Um, so good. we didn't really stop at autism, we just... <laughs> Yeah, so so we this is apparently what we do now. So um yeah. That's a good thing. I love it. I love it when you have one little idea and then it's domino effects and then you have a big old snowball. I went from dominoes to snowball, but it's a lot of intersectionality between the different neurodivergence mm -hmm. disabilities and such. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But Tori, um, had questions. But Remy, you mentioned this how uh next year you'd like to have time a little bit more free time before you did this um you're a emergency emergency room nurse right yes i am so um last two years have been super weird for me <laughs> oh yeah I'm sure. yeah yeah it is true emergency and nurses it's very different now with with everything that's been going with, on with, with the big c with the big c which um, I kind of don't want to say because for whatever reason, the algorithms of various social medias don't like Really? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, that's weird. But okay. the reason I bring that up is we're trying to counter narratives, the mm -hmm. sort of stereotypes during Autism Awareness Month. And one of the stereotypes is per perpetrated by non-autistic people is that autistic people basically fit in the two categories. Either we're like these super logical tech geniuses who, who only excel at jobs or are not talking to anybody. Like we're in like a back room somewhere typing on a computer or like we need 24 hour care. 
and like have absolutely no verbal skills whatsoever. While there are many autistics that fit into that, there's also many more autistics that are somewhere in between that, just like everybody else. People aren't stereotypes. And when you think of autistic person, you wouldn't think of something like emergency room nurse because they're very, very social, very high speed, stressful mm-hmm. sort of job. So in what ways has, it, it, what ways has being a emergency room nurse sort of, how has it interacted with your autism, for lack of a better word, because whatever reason I can't seem to talk today. <laughs> so um, that's really interesting. I mean, for me, I, I mean, yes, I'm science oriented in the sense of I went to nursing school. I did well in nursing school. I, you know, I understand the medical components of what I need to do with my patients. But for me, my main priority is often creating safe spaces for my patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I do wonder, you know, how much of that comes from um, living in a world where there aren't necessarily always safe spaces for me. Um, and taking the time to make sure that those safe, those spaces are created for my patients, making sure that, you know, because I communicate in a different way or say things in different ways sometimes, um, you know, did, did you understand what the doctor told you? Did you understand what the plan is? Um, maybe you're going to understand it better if I say it, because I say things differently. Um, Maybe you're not, maybe you're not going to have any idea what I'm talking about, but for the most part, I don't get the response from my patients of people can't follow me. Mm-hmm. I get the response of people follow me better. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and again, I think part of that is because the effort that I make into creating safe environments and into, um, you know, part of being a neurodiverse person is you learn that you don't communicate like other people. Um, and sometimes you have to learn how to communicate like other people. Um, so it's developed a sort of, um, repertoire of ways in which I can speak to people, um, that might not necessarily be the way that me, I, Remy would speak on my own or given my own isolated outside of the way our society works, um, how I would talk but I know how to talk in certain ways. It's not necessarily natural to me, but I can. So if I have to talk to three different types of patients who are going to hear things from me in three different ways, um, because I have, unfortunately, the practice in learning how to do that, um, I can make those connections with patients and talk to patients the way that they need to be spoken to. I love that from a speech therapist perspective, but also as um, somebody who knows that everybody is different and, and you need to understand that you have to communicate and approach people in different ways. And you just, I will say, thank you for reminding me a couple of years ago before travel kind of stopped. Um, I actually was asked to go and I did get to do it right before um, that uh, March and a school of nursing had me come in and talk to the nurses about how to help um, pediatric autistic kiddos navigate emergency room and doctor's visits. So I need to reach out to them because I think it's important, just like educating educators before they get out of college, it's better to educate folks before they get into the mix of it, if they can get some insights. So thank you for jogging my memory on that one. Um, 
That was really insightful. Thanks. Do you have a question or? Do I have a question? I always have questions. <laughs> I asked the last one. I want to make sure like I'm not talking over you too much. I would really love, because, you know, I'm always thinking about my parents in terms of, you know, parents don't always know, right? They're not always given the right information. And I know one of the things that concerns a lot of my parents when they get a diagnosis or they've had a diagnosis for a long time is my child doesn't fit into being a geek tech and my child doesn't fit into, you know, needing self-care. Are they going to be able to do anything? And so I would like to know if you, if you had any um, pushback from your parents concerned that maybe it wouldn't be the right field for you or what did that look like from your. No. So this is the really fascinating thing about my parents. Um, Mm -hmm. And starting off with, um, I am Mm self-diagnosed and I am self-diagnosed at the age of 25. Um, And I mean, it was, it was absolutely life-changing understanding certain things that I do, certain things that I've always done. Um, But my parents, I mean, if you, you ask them if I am autistic, they're probably going to tell you no. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents have always been strong proponents of me just being me. Um, And it's, it was great in the sense of like, so, and, and I also have to credit my teachers to this. I had teachers who also accepted that about me, but like kindergarten, my teacher said to my mom, you know, they walk around the classroom all through class and aren't sitting down and aren't hearing to listen to what I'm saying, but then I'll ask a question about the lesson and they always know the answer. Mm. And the great thing about that teacher is she didn't then tell me to sit down Mm. because she checked me and she knew that I was paying attention. So she let it go. Mm. Um, and, And that has been much the attitude my entire life of like, you, mm-hmm. you're doing what you have to do. You're meeting mm-hmm. the, the goals, you're getting the assignments and whatever. So just do, mm-hmm. do you, which, I mean, which is great, which has prevented me from having to have been forced to conform, having been forced to sit in that seat, having been forced to act a certain way. But at the same time, it kind of sucked to be 25 years old and be like, I don't understand why I don't talk right with other people and I don't understand why you know I get upset in the way that I do at times and can't control how I'm feeling when I'm upset or I don't understand um why I mean like even like dumb stuff I didn't like chicken until I figured out that it was a texture thing like (laughs) and my parents like they never said anything about it it was just like okay you don't like chicken um I didn't wear zippered pants until I was 16. And my parents were like, okay, we'll get stretchy pants, which, mm-hmm. which is great and which is what you should do. Yes. But it, I guess it would have been nice to have the reason behind mm-hmm. it. Um, but I mean, for them, honestly, I originally wanted to be a doctor. And my parents were like, yeah, don't do that. You're way too peopley. They said, you know, 
doctors will walk in the room, they'll tell you what's wrong with you, and then they'll walk out and they'll go, you know, read their test results. You are too people oriented to do that. And I was like, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, to to the contrary, my my parents have never looked at me being different as a limitation, mm-hmm. but almost to the point of I would say it kind of being a little bit of a problem. Um, because like you got you gotta tell a kid at a certain point, like, wow, your behaviors are just slightly off mm-hmm. and I, I, I knew they were I knew they were <laughs> but I didn't quite get how mm-hmm. um or like so this is this is a, a great one and I know this is a podcast so the folks listening aren't going to be able to see but while we're sitting here talking I'm knitting ah. I'm knitting I went to knitting summer camp when I was 12 I was like this is great I went back the next summer. This is great. And I did it all the time. Like all the time. And then I made all these stuffed animals to the point where I ran out of room. And my dad was like, you have to stop making them or you have to start selling them. So now (laughs) I sell stuffed animals and I, I, you know, I'll go to the movies with my friends and I'm knitting. Uh, I'm walking around the mall and I'm knitting. And here I am at 25 when I, you know, kind of put everything together. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm stimming. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is so silly. It's stimming with needles and yarn. So, you know, when I see kids now that are, you know, struggling with repetitive motion things mm-hmm. and like they're using toys and stuff, I kind of want to be like, you should give that kid a crochet hook, see what happens. <laughs> I mean, like, honestly, not, not that there's anything wrong with, with just stimming for the mm-hmm. state stimming but like how cool would it be if at the end of your stimming you have a blanket Mm -hmm. (laughs) um you know there there are ways that that we can take some of these things and make them a positive thing but again you know in in my my childhood my my growing up it was just like oh yeah you're always knitting Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. there's a reason Mm -hmm. yeah and Stacey talks about that a lot too when the example she always uses if you get a kid who's autistic who likes to organize their blocks and doctors will say they have uncreative play. But that kid might end up being an architect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Everybody, that's one of my biggest pet peeves is when parents and therapists, but parents um, try to control play. I'm like, oh my gosh, like just leave them on, like just leave them. Like you could go read a book right now. Like who cares if they're like, taking the car apart. Um, and it's just a different time also. I know that you all are younger than me, but parenting has changed um, in terms of when I was a child and when my kids were little, we literally just sent them outside most of the day. So kids just played. And now, you know, everything's sort of helicopter, there's technology, no one feels safe letting their kids out. And so kids are just sitting and their parents feel like they have to entertain them. And so it's hard for them to just say, go play in the backyard because people just don't do that anymore. Um, But anyway, um, what, what I, what I want to say to those listening is there were so many wonderful things that you said that, and when I say wonderful, I say wonderful in the, in the terms of such a, um, a message to, to families, right? Especially parents who are really just 
trying to figure it out. And, and those who are, you know, young adults who are listening as well, who may be self-diagnosed or maybe, you know, had a diagnosis growing up that even though you are, your parents accepted, she just likes to knit. Um, you felt like you could be yourself. There's still, everyone wants to know the why, right? Like, like, why do I, why am I, you know, for lack of a better term, I'm sure that other folks might've looked at it as, oh my gosh, she's obsessed with knitting, right? Like, um, just knits all the time and, and people look at it from a different perspective, but, um, it's, we, we all should want to know and understand ourselves. So for me, that was a message to parents. If your child does have a diagnosis, don't not tell them they know, that they're struggling to communicate sometimes, or they know they are different for lack of a better term, but I love the word different. I don't know why difference becomes such bad. I mean, you know, I think I even scolded my children one time and said, don't you dare do anything like everybody else, because <laughs> we are a family that embraces different and mommy's different. And, and so, um, you know, I just think it's important that parents understand your child is aware of the fact that they're a human being and they're aware of their experiences, whether they are talking to you or not about it, they're aware. So don't try to hide things. Like if you know, tell them, right? If you don't know, you can't tell them, but if you know, um, and for those out there who are, you know, young adults, even teenagers and, you know, in college or adults listening, it's, there, that's the validation for why you should want to know and understand, right? Or to self-diagnose or get a diagnosis because it makes a difference in, in terms of how you navigate your day. When we understand ourselves, we can, we can set our own supports in place, right? Like I know I have horrible short-term memory. Like, I mean, it has never been, my mother swears it's from a car accident, but I'm like, mom, it was never there. And so I know this about myself. So I have to put strategies in place to make sure stuff gets done because if not, it won't get done. And sometimes it doesn't, sometimes I don't implement the strategy, but knowing that about myself. So just, it's so important to know. All right. So talking about, I, I will say though, um, like obviously, yes, if you know that your child has a diagnosis, mm -hmm. of course, tell them. Um, but if you don't know, um, I would choose, I would choose my way. I would mm -hmm. rather parents who are just like, yeah. Oh, it's who you are yes. rather than having, I would rather not have known until I was 25 than have known when I was five mm -hmm. and been medicated and therapied or exactly. whatever out of it. Yeah. Yes. No, no, totally, totally, totally get that. Totally, totally. And, um, you know, I always tell everyone, um, in terms of parenting, the foundation for whether it's an autistic child, whether it's a child who's not autistic, whether it's a child, whatever person it is, any human being, no matter what life throws at you, if you have parents that love and embrace you and accept you for who you are, whether it's LGBT community, whatever, that is the one thing <laughs> that will help that human being grow into someone that can can make it through some of those circumstances without maybe as much um, carnage, right? Uh, because if you, I mean, just if you look at anyone, whether it's, you know, someone who is, you know, identifies as a lesbian or gay and your parents not accepting you, even when you have a wonderful partner or wonderful family you've built, it still is just 
one of those things that all children want parents to just accept them for who they are. And I tell parents just, you're the one that needs to lead that. And if you lead it, other people will follow. Um, they will, they'll follow because they won't have a choice because you're not going to surround yourself with people who won't accept your kiddo the way they are. Um, um, and that's, you know, that's important. And, and that's one of the things I say that because for those parents out there listening, when parents ask me, you know, what therapy should we get? You know, what should we do? You know, how would, you know, and I say to them out of all of my students who um, are all grownups now, um, the one thing, it wasn't the right therapist per se. It wasn't the right school. It was their mom, their dad, their family, their caregivers were there every step of the way, advocating and backing them up and loving them for who they were. That was the one thing. Um, and Romalis, you know, Torin knows Romalis. Romalis is a perfect example of that. Romalis's family really did. That was his saving grace for him coming out of the shit he had to come out of from the schools. But Enough of that. We're, well, it's enough of that. We're talking about this because we're trying to get the narrative. Um, um, and what's the word? The counter? What's the counter? Uh, counter narrative. Is, is, counter narrative. Um, I have to say, you young folks, uh, there's all these terminologies right now. I feel like I need an app with like all the terminologies because now what I used to say, we can't, I can't say. Um, and someone threw something out on the news yesterday and it was a whole different way to say like people who are friends that sleep together, but they're not a couple. And I thought, why can't we just say friends who sleep together and they're not a couple? <laughs> but there was now this new terminology. Now I have to remember and retain. <laughs> That's it's friends with benefits, right? At least I'm, yeah, I'm not, I don't know if they have a new term now. No, there was, and, and I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much to learn. <laughs> Just so much to learn. I know. Anyway. You sound, no, Stacy, though, you sound like such a boomer right now. That is definitely the most boomer moment you've had on the podcast so far. I am I an older lady. New terminologies and all this high-fangled speech. Hey, uh, my brain's been using the same terminology for, it'll be 56 years this month. So I've done, that's a lot of re like retraining, um, remembering, okay, I can't see this now, just this, but anyway, um, Lucy, would you, um, I would love to know just sort of some ideas on what's the word counter. Why oh, can't I think of it? Counter-narrative? Yes. Counter narrative. Okay. I, I was thinking counter narrative, but I thought maybe I was just stuck on narrative, like mm -hmm. some ways that we can, you know, facilitate that through this month. I mean, coming from my personal experience, the, it really starts with the schools, with education. Um, I mean, when I was in, I think, junior school, none of the um, teachers were educated about autism at all. Um, it was just, oh, you have an autistic child in your class. And I think because I was in mainstream class I wasn't in a unit I didn't have a TA they were like well you can you can do the work you can keep up with all the other kids you don't need support um and I suffered mm -hmm. greatly with that because I didn't have the social skills um to ask questions or say what I needed and I kind of just drifted throughout the school years just being like totally lost and yes, I could do the work, and yes, I was a good student, but I was also suffering in my environment. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and then there's also the kids who are in the units and who do need TAs. And if those teachers are looking after those kids and are meant to advocate for those kids, but mm. then don't have the proper understanding of autism, they're not going to get them to where they need to be. And I hear mm. it so many times um, just reading articles and blog posts about children who have been abused or mistreated in SEN schools, um, people calling for retraining. And it's just been going on for so many years. And I remember my mum once being approached by an SEN teacher who said, oh, are you disappointed because you've got an autistic child? And this is someone who is meant mm -hmm. to advocate for yeah. autistic children. Mm -hmm. um, and also then going further after you've left school, when you've become an autistic adult, I once read a blog about an autistic adult wanting to get a job in schools and teaching. And the same people who looked after those kids couldn't give them the same accommodation and treat them appallingly. And I just think if you can't get any um that basic understanding of the accommodations people need, the students you're teaching and the people you're meant to be supporting, they're not going to be able to cope in the environment mm. you've created. And you're the person who's meant to create mm. that good environment. So what does it say? about our future if every person who are, is meant to create that environment for us doesn't have any basic understanding of what we actually need yeah so that's that's the whole problem yeah. of what we're doing now um and I found it with like going into work and becoming going from an autistic student to someone who works in business and I've found that at the start, I refused to tell people I was autistic because I was just like, no one's going to understand. No one's going to know what I need. What's the point? Mm. Um, because like you said back then, we didn't have Twitter. We didn't have the autistic community. We didn't have people who could come in and be like, okay, you need mm -hmm. this. Um, so it took a long time to advocate for myself. But again, when I did, it was just, the response was basically, but why do you need that? Why do you do those things? Um, everyone else is fine. Why, why can't you just mm -hmm. do what everyone else does? Um, and it, it's just that such a lack of understanding mm -hmm. and unwillingness to see outside your own experience mm -hmm. to the fact that it really gets me when people say autistic people lack empathy. <laughs> when... <laughs> Those people. people are just like they're not even seeing outside their own lives. They can't mm -hmm. empathize with the fact that a whole minority of people mm -hmm. are in a world not created for them. Yeah. I say that all the time. Torrance heard me say that a whole bunch of times in terms of you guys are talking about the kids. It's you that doesn't seem to have um any empathy because yeah, and, and Torrin knows, you know, I'm I'm as an educator, I'm embarrassed. It's appalling. Um, I don't even have the energy because it just weighs on me the things that I've seen and and heard and um, and and you know I've just gotten to the point where I just feel like there's so many educators 
that just don't value our children as human beings. They just don't value them as human beings. And it's sad. It's really sad. And it's, you know, just purely for lack of willingness to look outside of themselves um, and, and, and just learn something. Uh, you know, I remember a colleague of mine, this was years ago, um, you know, 20 years ago, and she was a diagnostician and I was really frustrated with her because she was just fighting me on this appropriate diagnosis for this autistic child. And, um, you know, when we finished and, and we finally got, you know, what needed to be done for this child to get the supports that he needed, we were walking in the hall and, um, you know, she runs up to me and says, well, you know, I just, you know, Stacey, I'm, I'm so sorry. I just, you know, I just don't know a lot about, you know, and I'm doing this because this is what she was doing, bebop in her head. <laughs> She's like, I just don't know, you know, anything about autism. And I looked at her and I said, I don't have a problem with the fact that you don't know. I have a problem with the fact that you're not trying to find out in this part of your damn job. Like I didn't know either when I started. Right. But then when I knew, I mean, as a speech therapist, I had children with, you know, rare medical, you know, um, uh, situations and, you know, syndromes that were not something you saw every day. So I had to go to the library before Google and find out because this was my responsibility as a therapist to try to understand not only what impact their diagnosis had on them and then what, how could I help them? Right. Um, so I mean, it's I that, sad. I have that said to me so many times that mm-hmm. I don't know anything about autism. It's like, that's fine. Go learn about yes. it. And yes. even, even if you're not an educator um, and you're not, as people say, in the job where you're helping autistic people. If you don't know about something, don't expect me to give Mm -hmm. you the answers. Go out there and want to learn about Mm -hmm. it because at any point in life, you're going to meet people who are different to you. Mm -hmm. You're going to meet people who have different experiences. As a human being in this world where you share the world with many different people, Mm -hmm. why would you not want to learn about it so you can accommodate everyone else? Mm This is a conversation that I have with um, healthcare professionals uh, relating to the gender community. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a a friend who was trying to seek cardiac care and he had a doctor send him away because he was like, well, you're taking testosterone and I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, Stop taking testosterone and I'll treat you. What? Um, What? what? Um, And I... I firmly believe that this doctor was not coming from a place of like hating people, Mm -hmm. but coming from a place of like, did not know what to do with someone on testosterone, which look it up. Yeah. Um, As a a thought experiment, we then asked my cardiologist what he would do with a patient on testosterone. And my doctor spits out like this huge technical answer, like right off the bat. And I was like, that's great. But the thing is, if he couldn't do that, he would have gone and looked it up. He's the type yeah. of person that would mm-hmm. go and look it up. And that's, you know, whether it's trans people, autistic people, or a disease that mm-hmm. you've never heard of before. I mean, mm-hmm. you got to just look it up. Yeah. yeah. And and the unwillingness to do that. And I think, I think the difference is if it's a disease you've never heard of before, people mm-hmm. would, people would, 
if it's, you know, a genetic disorder they've never heard of, or, you know, a type of cancer that was new, they would go look it up. But because it's something about someone's identity, because they're autistic or because they're trans, mm-hmm. it, it becomes easier, bizarrely, it becomes easier to malign the community mm-hmm. rather than just do the yeah. research that you would have done in any other situation. Amalfamba yeah. has been the only autistic person in the places I've worked. Like I've had about eight different jobs <laughs> and I've always been the only autistic person there. And even if you say something, even if you say I do A because of B, mm-hmm. they then don't retain the information because they'll still ask, okay, why do you turn the lights off? Mm-hmm. why why do you need like a silent atmosphere why do you do that and it's just that if I'm constantly educating mm-hmm. you and but you're still not getting to that point where you're like we have an autistic employee we need to create this atmosphere mm-hmm. the environment's never going to be safe and mm-hmm. healthy for autistic employees yeah. and a part of me was grateful that I was the only autistic employee because at least mm-hmm. no one else has to suffer through this. Yeah. And, you know, it, it also, it reminds me um, in terms of, you know, what you said about the workplace and then I know I'm, I'm older than, than you young folks, as my grandma would say, but I remember when the workplace environment for nursing moms, right. Working moms, nursing moms, and how, just fighting for that environment and not being questioned, right? And not having people, you know, sign a paper saying it's not fair, they have a whole bathroom. I mean, like seriously get over the toilet situation, right? Um, But, you know, it was that. And now it has become, you know, not as contentious because like most things, people either die off or we (laughs) change. Like those people either die off and we don't have to anymore. Or, um, uh, you know, people start shifting, uh, which is why we're here, right? We're shifting the yeah, narrative Yeah, I mean, around. it really <laughs> does become hard to maintain mm-hmm. that level of advocacy for yourself mm-hmm. when everyone else treats you like the problem. Yeah. Um, and even in today's age when I've had so much involvement with advocacy and with the autistic community, mm-hmm. there's so many days where I'm like, I want to be able to speak like everyone else just so that they don't see me as a problem or see me as, oh, that person who takes everything literally or that person who has to do certain things that we don't have to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And there comes to a point where you just want to stop advocating for yourself and you can't because Mm -hmm. the next person down the line who comes in they're going to need that environment you're trying to create as well. Mm-hmm. So you have to keep pushing, not mm-hmm. just you, but everyone who's going to come after you. Yeah. And even so, it's still extremely difficult because mm-hmm. when you're the only neurodiverse person there, you are going to get treated as if you're making too much of the fuss or you're overthinking things or you're creating a problem where there's not a problem. So it's just really difficult to see the positives of what mm-hmm. you do. Cause it comes later. And I'd like to get some, I'd like you guys to give me your, uh, so something popped in my head um, in terms of advocacy and 
One of the things that, you know, I, I feel like a lot of people in the community in general, as human beings, we, we do things and say things to people because we're really just projecting our own crap, right? Like we're just not dealing with our own crap. And so I find that in general, the majority of people do not advocate for themselves and set boundaries in general, right? Um, yeah. You know, family walks over them, their spouse or their friends, or, and even not walking over for them, even simple things like, you know, when we're in the car, I really wish you wouldn't smoke with the windows down, right? Like that's advocating for yourself. Yeah. Um, and so I wonder if, and in, in, I wonder if, if the pushback besides, you know, understanding autism, I wonder if the pushback from coworkers is related to almost like envy that they don't advocate for themselves. And there are some things that they could need, you know, in the workplace and, mm -hmm. and, and that it's like, well, like, I wonder if it's like partially like projecting because the lot of people, most people do not, most people do not advocate for themselves in general. They just and like, again, I think it goes back to communication styles mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. neurotypicals do not just come out and say it. We mm -hmm. have to, they have to say things in a roundabout way where it could have a hundred different meanings and you have to just fit these little pieces of information together and it's just like I don't actually know what you want can you mm -hmm. can you just come out and say it um and I think it's that unwillingness to just be so open because mm -hmm. They have so many social rules. They have a time and a place to say things to different people. They have things they'll tell their close friends, but not their co-workers. Mm -hmm. And they've been brought up in a society where they've had to doctor their speech for so much. They don't know how to just speak mm -hmm. like we do, where we're just like, okay, I need this. Can I have this, please? Mm -hmm. No, that's a good point. And one of the things I wanted to bring up is sort of, we we're talking about like diet earlier, we we're talking about diagnosis and self-diagnosis. One of the big issues with the diagnosis process and the criteria are it's essentially based on how badly the person is doing in life, even when they're a kid, how badly they're doing in school and home life. So you hear a lot of self-diagnosed people, a lot of them, um, they they tend not to become they tend not to realize they're autistic to their adult and, and then you look at their past it's like oh you were able to do just well enough in like school and home life that no one thought even though there were clearly some differences no one ever thought to get you diagnosed because your life wasn't falling apart and I think that's one of, one of the biggest issues like me and Ryan we both got diagnosed early because we were doing terrible in school right Ryan yeah, I could not communicate well in public school, eh? especially New York City public school back in the early 2000s. That was just awful. Oh, my God. <laughs> we both we both have been, we've been bombed out of several schools before high school. We both have been through like a, 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 at least four or five different schools. But that's how and that's how we got diagnosed, because like we, we just weren't living up to people's arbitrary standards. And I, I think that's one of the biggest issues. And I want to ask Lucy, uh, you are diagnosed, right? Yeah, so I was lucky enough to get diagnosed at five because my mum works with autistic people. Um, so she knew straight off the bat, like as soon as I was old enough to walk and talk, like, hmm, 
yeah, my kid's autistic. Um, <laughs> but it was just everyone else outside the family that we had the issue with. And then I was she doesn't look autistic. She's doing fine because I was the one who could keep up with the other kids in terms of mm-hmm. academics. Yeah. Um, I was well-spoken for my age. And their um, idea of autism was the you need high-level care and mm-hmm. you can't do things for yourself. So we got a lot of, um, are you sure she's got the right diagnosis? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, But then once we did get the diagnosis, that's when, again, the deficit model came into it. And everyone was like, oh, I'm really sorry you've got an autistic kid. And my mum was just like, go away. (laughs) Like, We don't need that in our lives. I I have a great kid. What are you talking about? Mm -hmm. And I'm just so lucky that I have the mother who is a strong advocate and isn't one of those mothers who's like, oh my god I have an autistic kid I'm now suffering instead Mm -hmm. she's just like yeah my kid has an obsession with dinosaurs and Doctor Who and we cannot um have corks in our house from the wine bottles because she collects them all (laughs) so it's it's just again going back to Remy's about having that acceptance for who you are Mm -hmm. and whatever you do really helps knowing then who you are and being fine with yourself Mm -hmm. and I I had a friend who um I told him that I'm autistic and his response was don't say that about yourself no and I'm like excuse me because so so he was noticing a bunch of signs in in a family member and he's like you know I'm I'm concerned that this kid might be showing some signs of autism and the parents aren't stepping in where they need to and I was like well you know I mean I get what you're saying I I hear the signs that you're saying I get it you know I'm I'm autistic no no you're not yes I am well I never thought that about you (laughs) like you robbed a bank (laughs) okay that thanks. Great to know that I now can't talk to you. Yeah. <laughs> so that was fun. I know. We've got to erase that that negative stigma. It drives me crazy. It drives me crazy. It is, it's annoying. And Remy, in, in particular, do yeah. you think so? We see a lot of um. We, so oh, it, it's getting better, but. The diagnosis criteria for autism is still, unfortunately, mostly based off white boys. So yep. we see a lot of girls and AFABs essentially be underdiagnosed at still pretty large margin even now. Do mm-hmm. you think being assigned female birth sort of affected you not getting a diagnosis? No, I truly believe that my parents would not have gotten me. Like they, because they, that's something that has always come up. Like when I talk about, you know, my gender, they're like, we never cared what gender you were. You're just a person. Like, whatever Mm -hmm. I was, Mm -hmm. the autistic, non binary, you know, Mm want to be an astronaut, that was going to be their take on it. Yeah. Um, So that's, that's them. Now, the question is, would someone at school have said something? Mm -hmm. And that I don't know the answer to. You know, no teacher, clearly no teacher ever pulled them aside and said, red flags, Mm -hmm. talk, 
talk to someone. Because um, I'm sure that if uh, someone had told them to get me evaluated, they would have done it. Um, so the, you know, the question is, would someone have done that if I was a boy? I don't know. I, I don't know. I know that um, even looking at the diagnosis criteria, I honestly don't know even now if, if I would test autistic. Um, cause I, you know, I've, I've looked at a lot of the ways in which they test and I'm like, mm -hmm. uh, they're often very poor evaluations. Um, so I, I really don't know, um, you know, what, what schools would or wouldn't have done. I, I would like to, I'd like to sort of, um, from the educator perspective, I would say the answer to the question is, I think gender had a lot to do with it. Um, I can tell you just based on different places I've worked in the school system that there are certain diagnoses that are classifications really for the school system, but there's certain classifications that um, people already have um, tagged for certain either race, gender, um, and it doesn't really matter if they even meet the criteria for the one that should truly be the classification for them, just based on bias, um, people are tagged and or untagged. Um, you know, when I think of all of the students that I had that are girls who, um, um, you know, in elementary school were girls and, and they just said, oh, they're just shy, right? They're just shy. And so shy is like, you know, okay, right? She's just shy. She's just shy. But it's like, oh, no, she's not just shy. Like it's not. Um, and so there's just a lot of, uh, and because of the negative connotation, like, I mean, that, that, you know, the scenario I told you earlier where the, the diagnostician, she just was just determined that it would be horrible for him to get a classification of autism. And I was like, but he's autistic. Like, like, I don't understand why, you know, and, and for me, it was not only that he needed the right classification, um, it was at that time, you know, this is 20 years ago, we didn't have trainings available, right? We don't have them now, but we didn't have anything. Um, we didn't have the numbers to show and everything is about if you don't have a need, no one's going to fund it, right? So my push was if we don't get all of these students who are autistic classified get away from that developmentally delayed or, you know, PDDO, NOS, what they used before, then we're not going to get, we're not going to get training approved. We're not going to get staff needed. We're not going to get more speech there. Like we're not going to get, because they're not going to know that we need it because we're hiding because we don't want to talk about the A word, right? It's just like, we don't want to put that on them at four. I'm just like, but they are, that's like saying you don't want a black child to know they're black when they are like, it's, I mean, like there's no, and I say that because that actually happened in my family where I, nobody told my cousin and I was like, why didn't anybody tell her? Like, like that's a whole nother story. I totally forgot about that. But anyway, go ahead, Lucy. You were going to say something much more profound. What gets me about educators where they just don't want to take that giant step. And I've I've heard people say this so many times, like, oh, we have to take small steps in doing this. We have been a community who has 
had no support or help for what 100 200 years maybe even more mm-hmm. the time for baby steps has long gone yeah. <laughs> like, you need to start taking those steps to get that training and get that understanding because again if you are an educator and you are looking after children mm-hmm. you, you then have to create a good environment so that they can survive in the future do you know you're not going to have that understanding you're not going to have the supplies you're not going to have the training why are you even doing the job if you don't want to take that step like you have to have that deep passion of I want to support this kid the best I can so they can go off and do whatever they want Mm -hmm. no matter what the world throws at them Mm -hmm. that has to be your goal when you are looking after neurodiverse disabled kids even ballistic kids mm-hmm. just if you don't have that passion why are you in education right that I feel that way about healthcare though like if you don't like people mm-hmm. why are you a nurse here. Mm-hmm. please don't do this um I I when I was being trained I had um a nurse who sat with me for the day and worked with me for the day. And at the end of the day, she said, I'm going to give you a piece of advice that I've learned over the years. I have to show up every day. I don't have to F and be nice to people. I'm like, please go get any other job that you can possibly think of other than an emergency room nurse. Yes. 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 (laughs) Like, do not, this like, is not the field for you. Yes. Yeah. So like, if that's your attitude, don't do it. If that's your attitude towards mm-hmm. kids, don't, don't do it. And, you know, Luz, for you to say, you know, about how long we've been waiting for any steps, you know, we're well past the time for baby steps. Um, this is with many things, as more language comes about, more people are noticed to fit into categories of these languages. Um, and I had an interesting conversation at work one day where, um, again, reminder, I work in a hospital with medical people um, who said that there's like just so many people who have autism now and it's because of all the chemicals and the foods and, and oh, like doing uh, all this thing. And <laughs> I went off at the desk explaining to this woman the concept of changeling child. And like, what do you think a changeling child was? And how many hundreds of years ago was that? And Mm -hmm. that is because they needed a way to explain this hundreds of years ago. And you know what? It wasn't the chemicals that they were eating in 1650. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having conversations like that in healthcare settings, I mean, makes me die a little bit inside. There's that. But also like, you have to have the, I mean, Mm-hmm. did I want to have that conversation no I did not but but you, you have to and sometimes um again I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to fall back on my um LGBT training as because I I do a lot of LGBT education at my hospital and uh I had someone come up to one of my posters one time she's looking at it for a long time she goes I've never had a patient like that I'm like patient like what Yay. <gasps> <laughs> I don't like this woman's like in her 50s, like yeah. definitely has been a nurse for longer than 48 hours. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay. 
<laughs> but like that's mm-hmm. that's why I'm here teaching yes. you this because and you're yeah, in Philly too, right? I do not work in Philadelphia. Oh, the, wow. the hospital that I work in is not in Philadelphia. Uh, yeah, no, if that happened in Philly, I'd be real sad. Um, but but yeah, I mean, yeah. are some of these conversations maddening? Yes, mm-hmm. but we have to have them. And I think that's, um, you know, getting back into the messaging for the month of April, um, you know, we're going to see a lot of autistic people posting like, stop making me do all this labor, figure it out. And like, I feel that completely, but mm-hmm. like, apparently we got to do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah. and that is I so had a conversation with my mum last week. I was just like, I'm tired of having to explain everything. Like, I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Um, and yet you've got to have a terrible sense of humor as well to be yeah. able to get through this because yeah. you do get the questions of were you vaccinated as a child is why you're oh, autistic and you're just like yeah I got more than one vaccine so I'm leveled up <laughs> <laughs> Super well, like, you have to try and get through this because as soon as April comes around mm-hmm. you're just like oh god I cannot I cannot cope with this but I you know have, you have to keep pushing those yeah. messages home because you know there's going to be a whole other generation of autistic mm-hmm. children and at some point you hope it's going to get better mm-hmm. for them so that they come there April they don't mm-hmm. have to do the same thing yeah and I, I just long for the day when as a community we don't have to kind of band together and go to war as it is it feels like we're constantly going into battle every April I know and you know I think just in uh, you know just because human nature you know will always have battles but I also think it's just we too many people just have access to too many people to say things that they would never say I mean you know a lot of it is really just driven because you have access to say things and hide behind your profile um, I will, I would like to, um, just bringing it back to April. Um, I would like to share a story just for context. Um, I, you know, in terms of April and how, you know, I said in the beginning, it, it's just sad for me because it was something that I looked forward to, um, and not looked forward to because, oh, we're going to have an autism walk. It was like, oh, great. We're, we're going to have opportunities to educate. Right. And, um, maybe get some things, you know, uh, differently in the school or, or things like that. But, um, when I started, uh, this journey, uh, sparked by this little boy, um, with brown eyes and I ended up getting a group of parents together. And this was, like I said, 20 something years ago. And, um, I got this group of parents together and we did this um, walk, right? And I still have the shirt with my my kiddo and my little one, my own little tyke there. And I I, I don't do walks anymore um, because there's so many other things that we can do. But at the time, that was what was the thing, right? For every uh, everything. Um, but when I think about those families and all of those families getting to meet one another 20 years ago with their little kiddos, you know, family not understanding, community not understanding, and schools not understanding, 
And now they're all still together and they've done so much work. So for me, it's just really hard that something that started so joyful and was long lasting that made a difference has now been, sorry, it's just been torn apart and shredded. And it just makes me sad. I thought I was gonna get through this without crying. I, I got to tell you, though, I've seen more posts leading up to April of autistic mm-hmm. people drawing the line in advance and being yeah. like, hi, we're yeah. not doing this. Yeah. Um. So, you know, I think that reclamation of that type of community that that you thought was so powerful. I, I think I think people are working on it. I think people mm-hmm. work really hard. Yeah. I think it's just drawing that line as well. Of- we're not gonna let you get us to our worst mm-hmm. before you give us help. Exactly. Exactly. So many times of if I if I'm doing fine on the outside, if I'm doing what you want me to do mm-hmm. and I'm communicating in the way you want me to do, you're just gonna say, I don't need help. Yeah. If I'm breaking down and I'm having meltdowns after meltdowns, you're just gonna be like, okay. Um, what do we do? How do we help mm-hmm. you? Do not let me get to that point yeah. where oh, yeah. an emotional wreck and I can no longer handle yeah. it. like that. I I'm tired of that. I'm tired yeah. of getting to that point where my own existence is in danger mm-hmm. because somebody couldn't pick up quick enough yeah. that I needed help. And I remember once having a conversation with someone where I was just like, I'm done, I can't do this anymore. Um, and they were like, oh, we saw this coming. Mm-hmm. I was like, if you saw it coming, yeah. why didn't you nip it in the bud straight away? Yes. Mm-hmm. Why didn't I get the support? Why didn't I get people on my side lifting me up? Mm-hmm. Because what hurts me the most is that I am a person who's always lifting everyone else up. Mm-hmm. I'm the person who always wants to show up for everyone else. I want to, um, my language to everyone is like gift giving <laughs> and um, just being there to give everything I can. Like I literally mm-hmm. throw things at people <laughs> until they're happy. Um, and I'm I'm always there like, I was always there on social media checking in with everyone. But when it comes to my own welfare, it was only until I was in crisis mode mm-hmm. that people started coming in and they were like, how do we help? Well, the help was needed about yeah. three weeks ago. Yeah, Like it needs to be a point mm-hmm. where you have enough education to be like, I can see this environment isn't mm-hmm. good for you see this situation is wrong what can I do to make it better yeah that that's the point we need to get to because if we just have all these autistic people who are burnt out mm-hmm. in crisis in distress all the time we're not going to be able to live a happy life yeah. <laughs> like we're yeah. gonna... Wait, then they're going to turn that right around on us and be like you see these people can't function of course, of course, of course. And Torin knows I'm all about, I mean, that's like, that's why I talk to parents every day, all day, because it's about not waiting for reaction. Like there's so many things you can do to set up the oh, environment so they're not going to be in crisis. Thing without my cat. Ah, I'm going to visit. 
You guys can't see, but uh, Remy's cat just just made an appearance by walking on screen at the door. <laughs> yeah, he does that a lot. I should have locked him up, but anyway, he wants to say hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Stacy. Continue. No, 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 no. I, I, I just was. I totally. I mean. I, it's it's so funny because when Lucy talks, I'm like, oh my gosh, I say that all the time. <laughs> like I say that all the time to my parents instead of waiting. And it's, it's, I will tell you, Lucy, the hardest part about getting parents to understand that the proactive setting the environment up for success, the hardest part is because they have lived their own life so reactive. They don't even know, like they, it's like, they're just so used to reacting, reacting because that's the way they were raised and so it's really having to get them to think about what it can actually look like because they're just accustomed to like some people literally, and I had to learn this. I did not understand it, but I had to learn that some people don't know anything except living in a state of crisis, right? Like, just like you don't even know how to not live in a state of crisis. And so helping with that, because I mean, that's what I did. I will tell anyone. Yes, there have been awesome meltdowns happening in my classroom. And um, but the majority of the time, I do anything and everything <laughs> to set up the environment. But I used to always cover my lights in the classroom. And I had all kinds of stuff in my room that my principal hated. But I was like, oh, whatever. OK. And because um, it's for the kids. And the fire department would come in and do an inspection. And, oh, you got to take these panels off, these covers, this fire hazard. I'm like, oh, OK. And I'm like, whatever. And every time he came back. I was like, I'm not taking those panels. Like, I'm not taking them down. Like, my kids need to have this. Oh, yeah. I always had. Uh, yeah. My principal would just walk in and say, oh, goodness. All right. Just, <laughs> I don't want to know. But, I, you know, my kids were great. And that's why it was like, well, whatever she's doing, she's not calling me. <laughs> well, by the way, though, okay. So the lights, the way you had them are a fire hazard. The lights, the way they want them, are a sensory hazard. Exactly. Okay. So then they need to come up with a structural yes. way yes. to make the lights on a dimmer. Of but course. until they do that, you're <laughs> going to keep your thing on the lights. That's it. That's it. That's it. I will say, in defense of the school, this was after Hurricane Katrina. So we were in these little portable, uh, probably cancer mold buildings because you know it's all we had but uh yeah my lights were covered I was like oh sorry and just going back to what you said about you know always being in constant crisis mm -hmm. like it's, I have so many people who no longer talk to me or mm -hmm. want me in their circles because I am seen as a person who's always been in constant crisis <gasps> like that's my identity now. Yeah. yeah. And the main thing is just like, instead of alienating me because mm -hmm. I'm as the problem, mm -hmm. like you could have just altered the environment mm -hmm. and I'd have been great. I'd have been a great person. And I think the most hurtful thing comes from, do you know, that setup where mm -hmm you get to a point where you're judging your own worth and you're mm -hmm. judging am I a good person and actually when I think about it I'm a great person like I can come <laughs> up with so many great things mm -hmm. when I'm in a, an environment that doesn't give me those tools mm -hmm. I'm yeah I'm a wreck I yeah. can't communicate well I can't emote well 
um, I can't do the facial expressions that you want me to do. I become a living nightmare. But that's that's not me. That's not my fault. Um, and I've just had so many people who are just like, we'll accept you. We'll talk nice to you, but you're not. You're not in our circle, and if you're not with us anymore, we're, we're just not going to reach out. We're not going to be in contact for you because all they see is chaos and crisis and all those negative words that the deficit model perpetrates. So all they see is the stereotype of this autistic person can't function well in society. Mm-hmm. It's just like... That's society's problem, not my problem. Exactly, exactly. And I hope all the listeners rewind and listen to that again about it's not the child, it's not the person, it's not the teen adult, it's the environment. Um, And I will say my last words, I know we're running on time, um, but I will share with you, Lucy, that I had a meeting with a mom um, who lives in Australia and um, she's Southeast Asian. And so she bought a new house and part of her cultural um tradition is you have to have these like large housewarming parties like 150 people coming through your house right over like two weekends <laughs> and she was just like I don't know how my son is gonna like like there's like there's no way he's gonna so we came up with a plan um and she implemented the plan she changed the environment she even made an adjustment Apparently the food's supposed to go somewhere traditionally, but she made adjustments and then she created a space for him. And then she, um, you know, checked in with him, but she did, she even put visuals for the guest on things not to do. Um, and she had two weekends of wonderful housewarming event. And it was really just, I share that story. Cause I know I, you know, say a lot of things that I, I wish were different, but you know, that's the kind of stuff that we want to happen when parents start realizing. And then because she did that, you know, I told her, I said, everyone saw what you did to set your son up for success. They're going to start changing and shifting as well. You just continue to do that and model that. And that's how we get that domino impact so that, you know, years from now, we won't have to have this discussion, right, about how April's impacting everyone. Um, it really echoes through everything, through teachers, parents, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. employers, anywhere you go, if you make those spaces and you mm-hmm. set them up for success straight away, you're going to have a great mm-hmm. workplace. So you're going to have people who can bring different things to the table mm-hmm. rather than employees who are constantly in crisis because yes. the lights are too bright or you're not learning their communication style. Mm-hmm. Like eventually you're going to have this amazing team where you have such a diverse way of thinking. Yep. But until those spaces are made, you're not going to have that. Yes. One last question I'd like to ask you, uh, you two before we go. It's uh, you mentioned that you work for Friends of Random Acts of New York City. Um, what exactly is that? And it says that you were you, you were planning a week long autism acceptance event for for April. Can you talk a little about that before we go? Oh, yeah, friends so- that because they actually do the work. I I just tag on. <laughs> yeah. So. Um- I would thank you, Taryn. I was going to actually lead with that anyway, uh, just to close out with what Luce was saying about when you have an environment where 
she can succeed, unlike some of the environments she's worked in, she does great work. And here we are with a week long event for this month. And I don't, I'm still unsure how that happened. But uh, so this is what happens when you give her a good environment. We get a week long event out of it. It's it's wonderful. Um, But yeah, so Friends of Random Acts is a spinoff group of the 501c3 Random Acts. Random Acts um, works by having people apply for mini grants to do random acts of kindness in their community. Um, So you can apply for a grant, you get up to $400 to go do your nice thing, whether that's, um, you know, people have done buying stuff for local animal shelters, people have done um, making care packages for folks in hospitals, all sorts of really great ideas. Um, But the friends groups came about as an idea for local communities who felt inspired by the mission to make their own groups of just people doing kindness. Um, so the, the New York group, um, which I am one of the chairs of, um, we obviously we've changed a lot of our structures since COVID. Um, sorry, I, it, algorithm. Um, but we, we don't do um, in-person meetings anymore. We will have online watch parties where we watch shows and movies that we all like. Um, and then we'll do raffles that benefit, you know, whatever charity we're funding for that month. Um, we've done a couple of Zoom craft parties, which is actually how we met Lucy, um, where we did a craft party where everyone was getting together and doing, um, so like I was knitting booties for, um, a social work department at a local hospital. Someone else was making cards that they were going to bring to a nursing home. Um, and Lucy shows up on this meeting. We're like, oh my God, we're the New York group. There's someone in the UK who came to our group. That's so cool. We're so international. And here she is. <laughs> um, so, but you know. Yeah, I never left. I'm just <laughs> one of my best friends. And it's because this group was doing a craft party for kindness. You know, the... That's the most friends of random acts thing that I could possibly think of. That's mm-hmm. that's what we're aiming for here. So uh, with with the autism event, you know, I had thought that we could use our platform to because ran, random acts as a whole and friends of random acts is really big into promoting diversity and different types of communities, and I thought we could totally use our social medias to do again what I originally said was promotion of some authors who are autistic who you know put together some great autistic works that people could focus on reading during this month um and then Luce was like well let's go five million times bigger than that so we are um so if anyone is interested in seeing what we do end up doing um Porn, I don't know. Do you, can you put links and stuff in? Okay. So we can have links in your stuff for um, mainly our Twitter. Our Twitter is going to be where, where you want to follow us. Um, and just, I'll say it verbally too. It's going to be friends of RA underscore NYC. Um, that's going to be our biggest platform. We do have other social medias as well, but that's definitely where I'm going to be tweeting most of the tweets. Um like Lou said, we have a theme for every day of uplifting different um, segments of the autistic community or different topics within the autistic community. Uh, we're going to spend a day talking about stimming. We're going to spend a day talking about um, by POC 
uh, autistic individuals. We're going to spend a day talking about autistic individuals who um, are nonverbal. Uh, we've got this whole really great list planned. And then at the end of all that, on Saturday, March 30th, uh, we are going to do a panel. Um, we will be popping up some posts on our social media of who all our guest speakers are, but we've got a really cool lineup um, that we're working on of some folks that are going to talk to us about their own experiences with autism. And again, our focus being on um, creating more inclusive spaces. Mm -hmm. And it's really just having that platform to because it's not us talking about every topic it's we're just going to be retweeting everybody else as mm -hmm. well because we don't want to take on the voices of the whole community mm -hmm. we want to direct the attention to this is who you should be listening to mm -hmm. these are all the people that have been ignored every april like go follow them go hear their stories so that's what's really important to us as like we'll share our stories but we're not going to be speaking for everyone else we're going to be boosting them as well yeah, which i think is actually really cool that we had the opportunity um as Luce and Remy to do this podcast because I, I mean as far as I'm concerned I don't really intend Remy to play a big role in our event I'm going to be friends of random acts I'm going to be the logo I'm going to be um you know sharing uplifting highlighting these other voices other stories um I don't necessarily always have that much to add to a lot of these conversations. But I also do have my own pieces to add that I'm really excited that I was able to come here today and share that with you. Um, but I, as, again, I think that's why doing this podcast was so excellent because it gave us a chance to be us as we're gearing up to um, really serve as, as just a platform to get out the voices of some other people have some really wonderful things to say. Exactly, exactly. And thank you for coming. Oh, you know, thank I, you say, so I say all the time, um, and, and Tori and I have had these discussions when we're planning, um, when we, we try to act like we are, are, are actually running something important when we have our planning meetings, <laughs> which is usually just us getting together with an idea and brainstorming um, without a lot of structure, but we get it done. Um, but one of the things that is important to me um, and, and I'm very grateful to sit at this table with the four of you, because this is what I've always wanted, right? It's never been accessible to me when I first started, but now it is. And so, um, I appreciate it very much and I want more folks to come to the table and I have, I always encourage my parents to listen to autistic voices because it's important. It's really important. Um, you know, it's just important to, to know the other person's perspective. It's no different than any, you know, uh, if you're a new mom, you talk to moms, you don't talk to people who aren't moms. Like, like you don't get advice about becoming a mom from someone who's never been a mom. Um, it doesn't work that way. So anyway, I, I just want to thank you all. And I'm excited about your event. We're very um, excited too. Really excited. That's exciting. Yeah, I still haven't finished planning yet. I've got like 50 million more things to add. Someone help me. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I will, I will tell you, Lucy, um, as uh, once again, I'll, you know, the older person, I hate to sound like the grandma lecturing, but I will tell you from someone who has done lots of big stuff and, and little stuff, the majority of the people don't know what you want it to look like. So even if you put it out there and it doesn't look the way you want it to look, nobody knows anyway. <laughs> That's the great part about doing your own uh, thing is Nobody knows what it was supposed to look like anyway, if it doesn't look exactly the way you wanted it to look. Yeah. But it's exciting. It's going to make a difference and an impact. And that's what we just have to keep doing. Yeah. To shift the narrative, we have to, oh, what's my little new thing say? <laughs> what am I, I doing? We are building a community so that together we can shift the narrative on everything autism. Great. And I'm really very that's thankful because typically I'm at the table either by myself or at the table with a lot of um, just simply ignorant uh, neurotypicals. And it's just so great to have the opportunity to be at the table with folks who want to have good discussions um, so that we can start shifting the narrative because that's important. It's so important. It's so important. And all I will say to close off is that this April for neurotypicals, don't see it as an attack Mm -hmm. that we're saying you've been doing all these things wrong. See it as people who are in a world not made for them and that Mm -hmm. they are struggling and you wouldn't want your own child or your own family member to be struggling that much. So Mm -hmm. instead of seeing it as an attack, just see it that you need to make a difference, that you need to help and you need to educate yourself because Mm -hmm. the more you do that, the more things will change and we're yes. not going to end up in the same position hundred years later. Exactly. I think that's the perfect words to end it on. Um, yeah. Well, let's get out of here. Thank, thank you two for coming. That was, that was, that was really dope. And good thank luck you so with, much. Good luck with the event that you're working on. And thank you. like I said, all the stuff will be in the show notes and yeah, I'll see you guys. Thanks for thank listening. Thank you. Hey guys, if you want to follow the podcast on social media, find us on Twitter at Shifting Autism. You can follow Stacy on Twitter at Autism Sage and Instagram at Everything Autism. Follow me on Twitter at TK underscore Aspie, on Instagram at Autistic underscore Author, and on Facebook at The Autistic Author. Thanks for listening.